And welcome to class on a uh, beautiful fall day uh, as we're rolling into November and on to the holidays. Um, by the way, for future reference, we're probably looking at uh, taking a holiday break probably after about the second week of December and then uh, picking it back up uh, probably about uh, the middle of January, uh, which is typically what we've been able to do. Um, and uh, hopefully that... Uh, give us all a chance to kind of take a break and, and move forward. Now, the nice thing about these classes, of course, is that there's no reason we can't just continue on with what we're, we're doing, and that's the idea. We'll continue to look at the Old Testament uh, and try and find Jesus and the things that the prophets were doing with him, uh, and we'll just keep on going uh, on through. So, uh, welcome, all of you who are uh, joining us. Uh, anywhere uh, along the way and um, we again we always love when you can let us know where you're where you're checking in from so we can see each other and, and see uh, who we are now I'm very aware that uh, as we are finishing up uh, come follow me uh, in in the Book of Mormon that we're kind of landing on um, on Mormon and, and uh, the Book of Mormon in the Book of Mormon. And I'm finding something interesting, especially in regards to what we're doing uh, uh, today. Um, do you realize that, that Mormon's writings, we, we talk about him as the uh, bridger of the book. He only constitutes about 63%, according to, to my math, about 63% of the book. And and other uh, authors such as Nephi and Jacob and Moroni make other make up other chunks. So uh, we when you look at uh, the Prophet Mormon in the Book of Mormon, you're trying to see not just what is he writing, writing, but how is he putting things together. What is his overall message that he's trying to get across to those of us in the latter days in taking thousand years of Nephite history and then picking and choosing which lessons and stories and experiences he will write, which talks uh, and addresses he chooses to expand on and then and emphasize. And I want you to see something today that's really going to fold into what we're talking about with, with Enoch and Melchizedek because it, it really kind of jumped out at me. Um, because, again, as I was getting ready for this class, uh, I had one of those moments, I think you've had them, where I started preparing one lesson and another lesson jumped out. And, and one that I did not expect was going to be there. But the more I dug into it and the more I looked at it, the more it was obvious to me what are the main themes was as, as we're looking at this. So, so you're getting the evolved lesson. The other lesson would have been good. This is better. Uh, and I'm, and and so I'm intrigued with uh, how this came together, and part of it involves what Mormon chose to report, and what he chose to emphasize. Remember, Mormon is writing at a time when he's swimming in wickedness and a declining civilization, and as time goes on, he sees them becoming more and more bloodthirsty, more and more wicked, and he has especially as he's reading the writings of other prophets, he can see the handwriting on the wall. There's not a whole lot he can do about it. Uh, but he can point to you the signposts that were happening along the way in history. And that's basically what he did. 
so when we get in, into the, the book of Messiah, he's going to give us, he wants it to be very clear that King Messiah is going to explain why it is that they should go from a system of kings to a system of judges. And, and watch what happens, because he's going to go from a good king, King Benjamin, to a bad king, King Noah, who kills Abinadi, and then we're going to get the explanation from Mosiah that he doesn't want to drop the kingdom on his sons who want to preach the gospel instead, and, and he does that. But then after he's done that, now he's going to show a nation with a system of judges, and they're going to get wicked as well, and he's going to warn you on that. He's going to say in Mosiah 29, uh, For behold, an iniquitous king, Noah, keepeth his guards around him. He teareth up the laws of those that have reigned uh, in righteousness before him, and he trampleth under his feet the commandments of God. So he's talking about one man who's in charge, who is uh, tearing up the laws, uh, keeping his guards around him, and, and trying to do that. And then watch what, what happens when he shows you judges that do the same thing. Um, and because here's here's Mosiah's warning that Mormon is going to pick up, write it, tell you about it at the last part of Mosiah. Then what we're going to see in Alma, especially when we get Alma in Ammonihah, he's going to show you how that works and what that looks like and how that leads to incredible tragedy uh, in that city because they did exactly this. Because he says, if the time comes that the voice of the people after they have judges and now they can vote and they have some say into what's going on and who they pick as judges. Um, when the voice of the people doth choose iniquity, as a group they are choosing evil judges who are going to carry out those, those kind of iniquitous laws, then is the time that the judgment of God will come upon you. Yea, it is the time that he will visit you with great destruction as he has hitherto visited this land. So it's one thing if a wicked king like Noah imposes iniquity. He says it's a far greater thing if you now have judges and you have voted for great iniquity. That the voice of the people is choosing iniquitous laws. And then watch what happens. And that's exactly what we will get in Alma 13 and 14. Um, and, a, and a prophet desperately trying to hold back that flood of, of destruction that is coming because of their, of their choices. So, so, now let's, so now we're going to move ahead to uh, uh, Alma when he arrives in, in Ammonihah. Now, you have to remember a couple of things about Alma. Number one, Alma, when they, when they moved from a system of kings to a system of judges, they still had this propensity as Nephite people to say, well, we kind of like a really good guy, and so we'll, we'll make him the chief judge. Oh, yeah, he's also the prophet. He's the high priest, but we're also going to make him the chief judge. 
uh, that that's a little bit like the people in uh, the territory of Utah saying, who are we going to vote for for governor? Uh, we like Brigham Young. <laughs> We're going to have the same guy do both things, the territorial governor and the prophet and president of the church. And they did that with, with uh, Alma. So he's made both the head of the church and the head of the country. He is the chief judge over all the other uh, judges. Now, for Alma, what he's going to say is, having seen the afflictions of the humble followers of God and the persecutions that were heaped upon them by the remainder of the people. So, as, as the chief judge, he can see what's happening with uh, those that would uh, be persecuting and pressuring those that are righteous and try and inflict pain and hurt on them at the same time. And so he, has to, he makes a decision. He's seen that, that this is going on. And then he says that he retained the office of high priest, but he's going to deliver up the judgment seat. You guys vote for somebody else. I have something, I have kind of a higher calling as high priest, and I'm going to go be moved to protect and hopefully preach repentance to so I can stop the persecution of good people that are being persecuted by wicked people, even in under a law of judges. And I'm better able to do that, not as chief judge, I'm better able to do that as prophet. And let's see why in just a second, because I think there's a specific reason why he did that. And I have, uh, it's a bit of speculation on my part, but um, I think I'm pretty close. Now, so eventually he goes to Ammonihah. Now, one more piece of background we need to put on this thing. When we get to Alma 1, one of the first major things that Alma is going to come to grips with is the fact that there is a man that's been persecuting the righteous and he's, been, he's, an, he's a, uh, uh, an antichrist and he's stirring things up and that's brought before uh, Alma and he couldn't do anything about the persecution but this man also killed capital murder uh, Gideon, this great hero under Limhi. So he's going to be put to death. And that's one of Alma's first acts is to put this man to death. His name, Nahor. And what he's doing is he's about to go to Ammonihah where a number of them are of the profession of Nahor. They, they preach what Nahor preached. They believe what Nahor believed, even in messing with the laws of the country. And, and he's going to go to Ammonihah just six years after he had Nahor put to, to death on top of Hill Manti. Remember that? Do you think the Nahors in Ammonihah remember that? Do you think they would remember almost with a sense of martyrdom the death of Nahor? And do you think they would remember who it was that sentenced him to death and put him to death? Alma. 
There's a history here. And when Alma is going to walk into Ammonihah and they know who he is, I think the wheels begin to turn and they begin to look for an opportunity for vengeance on the man that put together, put to death their hero. And we'll watch how that occurs. But it's got to be done legally. You can't, you have to have a reason to do it. And watch how it is exactly that they do that. Now, so Alma, and, and, and we know this story. Of all the, of all the uh, stories uh, in the Book of Mormon, this is one of those we probably have read over and over and over. If we read the Book of Mormon more than once, we know this story, right? And, and just by quick review uh, for all of us, we remember that uh, Alma's going to come into Ammonihah. There's going to be immediate pushback against Alma. Uh, in fact, what they're going to say, he's he's going to preach. He immediately starts preaching and warning them of hell, of hell and fire and brimstone. That if they are wicked, they need to repent. Otherwise, they're going to go to hell. And remember, the Nephite framing of the afterlife at this point is pretty black and white. It's it's heaven with God or flames in hell. Pretty stark, pretty clear. And he's letting them know that if they don't get it together, that's what's going to happen with them. Their response is... And man, does it echo things like what Pharaoh uh, said to Moses and what King Noah says to um, the people. He's going to say, who, they're going to say to him, who is God that sendeth no more authority than one man upon this people? Now, yes, we know he's the high priest. Yes, we know he's the former chief judge. But you're going to walk in here with one man and one opinion to try and tell us uh, that we're wrong. So who is God that he would, he would do that? Um, and, and obviously then we remember then he's then cast out of Ammonihah. Um, and, he's, and he's heading home. And remember that his angel, the one that immediately... That, years ago had called him to repentance. His angel says, hey, I'm here. I'm the one. Remember he? I'm your angel. Then he's going to say specifically, they are studying in Ammonihah to overthrow the freedom of the people. Now, as chief judge, that would get your attention. And you need to go back and preach repentance to them uh, because that what they're preaching is that priestcraft that you tried to eliminate six years earlier with Nahor, they are of the same profession and persuasion, and they're trying to do the same thing in mass, what Nahor was doing. And you need to get back there really quickly. Well, after that angel's warning them that they're studying to destroy the liberty... Then you remember that he's going to return, come in another way. Remember that Amulek is also going to be called by the angel. He's a little bit of a recalcitrant. There we go. I knew it was in there somewhere. Um, 
uh, knowledgeable guy that needed to be called to repentance and he would become very serviceable. So uh, we know that Alma is going to then be taken in by, by Amulek and that uh, Alma is going to bless all of Amulek's family teach them fully the gospel, spend a certain amount of time with them, and even bless Amulek's father and his kinsmen. And pin that over here somewhere because that's going to become really important that they were able to, that he had a lot of uh, connection with uh, Amulek's father, Gidgadona, and 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 uh, how that's going to impact what happens here. So, Remember, so there's all of this, all of this striving, and then they're going to get ready, and Amulek is going to kind of relearn what he knows. Remember, Amulek is going to tell the people when he's preaching, uh, I knew, but I would not know. You know, I've known this stuff, but I really didn't want to know it. And Alma's going to come into town, and he's retaught it to me, and okay, I, I know it, and I know that I know it, and I'm going to tell you uh, that I know it. So with that all set, and the table is set, they're going to go back out into Ammonihah to preach the gospel with, with a single-minded goal that we're going to preach repentance that hopefully stops the Nahors from um, not just their iniquity, but also from an overthrow of a government that is coming that he's trying to stem that tide of. Now, Watch how Alma does this. And this is where I think there's some, some room for speculation and why it is that I wanted to include this instance in our discussion about the Old Testament and about Enoch and now especially about Melchizedek. Now, what he's going to do, here's his approach. Alma is going to deliberately frame himself as a Nephite Melchizedek. He's going to appeal to Melchizedek and he's going to teach them as a Melchizedek and I believe that he also perhaps has the power of Melchizedek. It could very well be that Alma is walking into Ammonihah with the order of Enoch and that ability to do what Enoch and Melchizedek and Elijah and Elisha and, and Moses before him would have done. So listen, what's, so let's go to Alma 13. And he says, Yea, humble yourselves even as the people in the days of Melchizedek, who was also a high priest after this same order, of which I have spoken, which also took upon him the high priesthood forever. Now, stop for a sec. Let's go back and review what we talked about last week. Last week, when we have talked about the order of Enoch, that there were a number of people that may have held the Melchizedek priesthood, but there were certain prophets and certain leaders who had additional authority and power, the sealing power, that we have kind of that we've called the Order of Enoch. And how do we know who those people are? They are very special 
preachers of the gospel over and above everybody else. They are given authority to do this and it often is coming from the Father. Remember, that's what Abraham was seeking after, was this. And he says, I wanted the blessings and the power of the fathers. My father are not so good, but Abraham was acquainted with Melchizedek and would have seen what was happening with Melchizedek in the, in the city of Salem. And, and that they were being caught up to join uh, the city of Enoch. They preach mighty repentance. So mighty that they don't have to fight the opposition. And they are able to control the elements, call down droughts, move mountains, change rivers out of their course. And this marvelous display of power combined with their preaching and converting would hold away wickedness and protect righteous people. And, and as we're going to see, I believe Alma has this very, very much in the back of his head that if he also is of the order of Enoch, that I have that authority, I have that power to preach repentance and to use the power of the elements to protect righteous people on their journey to becoming like Enoch because at the end of the day it works they are spectacularly successful with those that will accept the gospel now we know with Enoch we know with Melchizedek we know with Elijah and Elisha and Moses not everybody accepted the gospel but for those that accepted the gospel they became so righteous that they were in a position to join Enoch. But there would be a significant group of people who would fight them and, and want to destroy them. And their power, the power of this, to control the elements, would be enough to prevent them from causing harm to those accepting the gospel. And tell me that's not what Alma had in mind. When he's walking into a snake pit of Nahor followers and he's going to try and uh, convert them as Melchizedek did. Remember Melchizedek said he started when the people were incredibly wicked and he taught mighty repentance and they changed. But again so, and those that wouldn't change were held at bay. And I think and I believe that that's what Alma walked into Ammonihah with the idea. I will preach they will accept, and those that don't accept, uh, I can utilize this power to make sure that my people are protected. Now, recall as well, this is before a, another tragedy that will happen with the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, who didn't get the protection, and neither will the righteous in Ammonihah, as we know. But I think that's Alma's thought, and I think that's Alma's belief. And one of the ways that we can spot these followers of Enoch with this kind of power 
almost exclusively they don't taste death. They are translated. They are taken up. And Alma was. So it's one of those little hints that says maybe, probably he had this power. And he, I think he was prepared to utilize that power to preach repentance and to protect people. Now, he knew that. How would, how would the Nahors and those know that? Well, look at what he's saying. He says, as he's talking about Melchizedek and the power and the repentance of the people of Melchizedek, Look at what he says. Now I need not rehearse the matter. What I have said may suffice. Behold the scriptures are before you. If you rest them it will be to your own destruction. They had the words in all likelihood of Melchizedek in front of them. They knew that. Remember when the people are killed those scriptures will be thrown in the fire with them, but they're gonna. Alma is working off of the assumption that they know the these records and that they would know what he was talking about. So rest them to your destruction, but you already know because I put them in front of you. Okay, now now what what is it he's going to tell them? Well, he's going to say now as you know. Scriptures are in front of you. This Melchizedek was a king over the land of Salem. And his people had waxed strong in iniquity and abominations. Um, like you guys. <laughs> Yea, they had all gone astray. Um, like you guys. Um, and they were full of all manner of wickedness. Um, like you guys. But this Alma, uh, no, this Melchizedek, had exer having exercised mighty faith and received the office of high priesthood under according to the holy order of God, did preach repentance unto his people, and behold, they did repent. And Melchizedek did establish peace in the land in his days. Brothers and sisters, there's not a prophet out there that this isn't exactly what they want. I'm going to preach repentance. You will repent. And by doing that, I will establish peace in my days. And and I don't know if, if uh, Alma as he's walking into Ammonihah, is a little bit naive in what he thinks he will be accomplished here, or if he really believed it uh, and the people were so wicked that they pushed back. But either way that you look at it, this part of the tragedy of what is about to occur in Ammonihah, I believe, catches Alma and Amulek by shock because this was not what was supposed to happen and we know this story and this is this is a story uh, maybe one of the saddest moments in all of all of the book of mormon because the response is pure 
tragedy and pure evil. Um, and because remember, they brought that they then go out in response to the fact that with the claim that Alma and Amulek are preaching against their laws that are creating it's seditious. It's the same thing that was leveled against Joseph Smith about saying he's stirring up the countryside and disobeying the laws. So we're not going to preach, we're not going to martyr them because of uh, a belief that they have, but because they're attacking our laws. And so what they're going to do is they're going to, they brought their wives and their childrens together, and whosoever believed or had been taught to believe in the word of God was caused that they should be cast into the fire. Now, part of the tragedy of this, the incredible tragedy of this, is how would they have known? Who was listening to Alma and who had accepted the gospel? How did they know? There's a little note at the end of this where we're going to find that um, Amulek lost everything and that he was betrayed by his father and his kinsmen. His father was present with Alma, was blessed by Alma, but was not thrown in the fire, survived all of that, and I believe was probably the, the witness that they needed about what Alma was teaching and who was there. And I think Al, Al, Amulek's father... And his kinsmen did that to save their own skins. So they weren't thrown in the fire. But they're going to be the ones who have a list. This is the people who were there. And it came to pass that there, it, it doesn't just suffice, by the way, that we're not going to immediately kill Alma and Amulek. Maybe they're a little afraid that they, whether they can do it or not, kind of like Abinadi. It came to pass that they took Alma and Amulek and carried them forth to the place of martyrdom. It appears to be a, a place. That's where we take martyrs. The place of martyrdom that they may witness the destruction of those who were consumed by fire. It's not enough to kill them. We want you to see them die because remember this is, you, you took Nahor to a place of martyrdom and humiliated him and then had him killed. But on top of that, we need you to see that your words is what drove us to, to, to do this. And when Am, and, 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 as, and as horrible as that is, now, what is Amulek looking at? Not only is Alma seeing people that he loved, that he had taught converts, Amulek's watching his family. Amulek's watching his family. And, it went, and when Amulek saw the pains of not just women and children, but his wife and his kids and his family who were consuming in the fire, right, in the process of, he was also pained. And he says to Alma, and, and there's just no way for us to picture how painful this was for Amulek and especially for Alma. 
how can we witness this awful scene? Therefore, let us stretch forth our hands and exercise the power of God which is in us and save them from the flames. Alma, this is, this is exactly what you have the ability to do that. Remember, part of the story of Melchizedek was that as a youth he was able to quench the flame of fire. If he would be like Melchizedek, he also has the ability to stop flames and fire. Remember that Moses, as a holder of this, fire was those, that thing that kept the armies of Egypt obey. Remember Enoch, Alma, he could move a mountain. He could change a river. He could use that sacred power to protect those that have accepted the gospel and and they don't they're not harmed. God fights their battles and God wins those battles and holds the wicked at bay. Alma, when does this start happening? And they're watching this occur. And then from inside Alma comes this knowledge. Alma said to him, and you just can't even imagine the, the pain and almost the, 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 the dismay. The spirit constraineth me. Yes, I have the power. That I, but I must not stretch forth my hand. This would literally be like watching people that you love being destroyed in a fire and you're standing there with a fire extinguisher and a hose. I can stop it, but I'm told not to. I just can't even imagine, brothers and sisters, how tough that must have been. And then Amulek is going to make a statement and I, and I want to put a different spin on it maybe than sometimes when we look at this because he's going to say maybe they'll, maybe they'll burn us as well. I think Amulek is almost, as he's watching this pain, that kind of that survivor guild almost and going, I wish they would burn us too. And then I would not have to watch what I'm watching. Maybe even with a little bit of hope. Maybe they'll burn us too. I don't want to live with this. We're the ones that preach fire and brimstone. And remember the high priest in, in uh, Ammonihah is going to say, we tailored this destruction to fit what you were preaching against us. You're going to tell us that we're going to have fire and brimstone. We'll show you fire and brimstone. And you'll get to watch it. Now, another scholar has correctly pointed out that after this experience, we won't hear Amulek's, we won't hear Alma's words for years. And that phrase, fire and brimstone, <coughs> and the flames of fire and hell, won't be used throughout the rest of the Book of Mormon after this point. It's, it's gone. So traumatic and so horrible is this moment. Now, the effect on Amulek of all of this before 
when he starts preaching to the people, he says, I am Amulek, I am the son of Gadona. Behold, I am a, also a man of no small reputation. Behold, I have many kindreds and friends. I have also acquired many riches by the hands of my industry. I'm somebody in Ammonihah. You know me, you know my family. And my father actually dates back to a prophet who saw writing on the wall. I'm, we have genealogy. Afterwards, after all this is done, and it came to pass that Alma and Amulek, as they leave, Amulek having forsaken all his gold and silver and precious things, being rejected by those who were once his friends and also by his father and kindred. On top of the painful destruction also comes the betrayal of those that had facilitated it. Now, I want to kind of finish this up then. Um, and, it's a fr- and it's something that Jacob and Jacob 1 is actually going to point out. Because here is somebody who I believe had the power and priesthood of Melchizedek and was constrained from not using it. It went different than it should have. This is uh, the power of Peter and Paul and everything that they preached first century and yet they're killed by Nero and, and put to death. And, and Jacob is going to tell us, Wherefore we would to God that we could persuade all men not to rebel against God, but that all men would believe in Christ. And then Jacob is going to say this, We, would, we should believe in Christ and view his death. Brothers and sisters, a lot of times we don't want to view his death. We want to skip over to the tomb and resurrection. We don't want to look on the crucifixion. Jacob is saying, remind yourself how he died. Remind yourself that. View his death. And then as a result of that, suffer his cross and bear the shame of the world. Here's what he's saying. Even if we had an Enoch in our midst, or we had a Melchizedek in our midst, or even if we're trying to be righteous and do the right things, that that won't necessarily be a guarantee of persecution. And in fact, as it was in Ammonihah, your righteousness might provoke evil, and it might provoke persecution and Jesus' death provoked came as he was provoking the powers of darkness and the Roman Empire and the Sanhedrin but we are called as Christians to also suffer his cross and bear the shame of the world and our righteousness may provoke that kind of backlash. Scary thought. We hope for each of us that that never has to come, but I think we have to have an understanding in mind that says our righteousness could actually bring it. 
brothers and sisters, I bear you my testimony that there are those within our midst with great power, but they will be led to use the power as the Lord would have them use that power. And that may be in protecting us, but that it may also be comforting us as we bear the shame of the world and stand up for Christ. And that may not be easy. And as a world darkens in evil, that, that may be our lot. And I think we have to be prepared for that. And that's not a cheery thought. But that there is a greater life waiting for us as there was for all Christian martyrs in the bosom of Abraham and in the kingdom of God. And I bear that witness to you and I do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.